Well, if you brought your copy of God's Word, I'm going to have you open with me to Daniel. I think we're getting there. There we go. Well, Harky, what's all this doing right here? There we go. That's much better. Well, I've got uh, 20 pages of sermon um, notes here. I usually have 13, so I'm going to have to get right to it. Um, I've titled my sermon this morning, as you can see right here, No Compromise, Staying Faithful to God's Word When It Would Be Easier Not To. got an outline for us we're going to be using this morning as we make our way through this. Beginning of verse 8, we need to make up our mind to obey God at all costs in advance. Number 1, number 2, from 8b through 10, through verse 10, when asked to sin by those in, in authority, we need to seek to win their favor. And verses 11 through 13, we need to use the wisdom principle, wisely offer win-win solutions that could help resolve the problem, whatever that difficulty may be. Look at verse 8 with me. Make up your mind to obey God at all costs. If you're taking notes, you can put down the word convictions. I believe verse 8 is one of the key verses in the entirety of the book of Daniel, and for sure, a key verse in explaining this young man's life and his entire life. As we saw last week, Daniel was one of the blue chippers from, chosen from among the young studs of Judea for special training to serve the king in the king's court. And as such, this has presented a problem for Daniel, which surfaces here in verse 8. It says in verse 8, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So, the king ordered Ashpenaz, back in chapter 1, verse 5, to feed the Judean captives from his choice food and drink, which becomes a crisis point in Daniel's life and produces for our benefit this marvelous display of doctrinal conviction that is here rooted in Daniel's life from the Word of God. Look again at verse 8 and notice the first two words, but Daniel. We see Daniel, but more specifically, we see Daniel here as a young man. His age is believed by most scholars to be somewhere between 11 years old to 14 years of age. From the writing of the book of Daniel, we know that Daniel lived during the times of five different emperors and empires, Nebuchadnezzar, Nabonidus, Belteshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus, which tells us that Daniel lived about 70 years after he was taken into captivity to Babylon. So what does all this mean? What does this tell us about? Well, it lets us know that Daniel was a very young man when he possessed these excellent doctrinal convictions which tells us or informs us or reminds us that 
One need not be an older person to possess godly, Christ-like doctrinal convictions. True spirituality is not conditioned on age, but on the attitude of one's heart. Too often we have very low expectations for our preteens and young adults with regard to spirituality and godly doctrinal convictions. Daniel's life shows us that there's no better time to have solid biblical convictions than when you are young. Raise them up in the way in which they should go, and when they are older, they will not depart from that training. Now, in the Proverbs, that's a general principle of truth, and there perhaps are some examples out there where that didn't pan out perfectly. But in the case of Daniel, we see a young man who under great duress in the circumstances that he's been thrust into, we find him standing strong on doctrinal convictions. And I have a firm conviction that that probably started at home. How about you? Now, notice what else we see. Look again at verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. The very next thing we see about Daniel is that he made up his mind. Convictions. He made up his mind about a king's order and what he was going to do and what he was not going to do. His mind was made up. Notice this definition uh, regarding this word mind. Daniel made up his mind. This is from the Dictionary of Biblical Languages with semantic domains for this Hebrew word, mind. The definition in that is heart, mind, soul, spirit, the self. The source of life of the inner person in various aspects with a focus on feelings, thoughts, volition, and other areas of the inner life. In other words, it's the core of who we are as a person. The heart, the mind, soul, your spirit, the self. One translation has this Daniel determined in his heart. So the mind, the heart, the inner self of this young man had doctrinal convictions that were core to who he was as a young man. And we see that Daniel possessed this in order that he might live holy before his God. And what this tells us is that Daniel knew his God. And it also tells us that Daniel as a young man knew the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom. And as such, Daniel purposed in his heart, in his mind, to know the Word of God. As a young person, without doubt, Daniel would have been very informed and instructed by Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Notice how this strikes to the core of this issue. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your Word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts And regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget 
your word. Daniel learned from his youth the value of the word of God, which formed in him doctrinal convictions that enabled him, when put in a very tight place, to make a very strategic decision with regard to his life. Daniel is willing to learn their literature. He's going to be willing to learn their language and even take a new name because Daniel's Bible didn't prohibit him from doing such things. Now, I'm sure if he had the option not to do those things, that that would have been his preference. No doubt. But we don't see Daniel making personal preference issues a hill to die on. In matters of non-essentials, Daniel was flexible. In matters of essentials, Daniel would not budge. Daniel will not eat food that has been sacrificed to idols. He will not compromise his relationship with God, even if it cost him everything. Which it surely would have. One commentator said on Daniel and his convictions, He said, Daniel simply desired to be righteous. He did not have a priority on position or popularity, but on purity. In contrast, most people desire to be great, not godly. Rich, not righteous. Happy, not holy. Most people are interested in fame, fortune, and folly, not in biblical faith. The essence or principle of Daniel's convictions was holiness in every area of life. Doctrinal convictions rooted in the Word of God alone. I know a young man, well, he's not young anymore. He was young back then at the time, but um, when I was pastoring in Pittsburgh, there was a young fellow there in the young adult ministry. His name was Tom Sinton. And Tom, in a similar way, made up his mind that he was not going to sin against God simply to keep his boss happy. There was a a competitor company that um, made a phone call over to where Tom was working. He took that phone call. And after getting the information, he he went to his boss and told his boss uh, the, the, the premise of everything that was just communicated to him in this conversation. And what his boss let him know was that they were in the process of trying to hire away one of his competitor's top salespersons. And so he informed Tom that, hey, if this guy calls back, I need you to lie to him and tell him X, Y, and Z and not tell him this. Well, that kind of put Tom in a bind because Tom was living by standards and principles that were surfaced from the word of God, which says, thou shalt not lie, which would mean that Tom would have to openly sin against God in order to make his boss happy. And so we talked about it, and, um, and he said, you know, I'm going to go back and let him know that I can't do that. And so Tom Sinton went back and he told his boss, and he thought that perhaps his, he said his boss wasn't the, the most stable individual, he was a little bit uh, emotional and prone to excess, and he thought that there might be a chance that it cost him his job for doing this, but he went back to his boss and told him, hey, if that fella calls, I'm not going to be able to lie to him, so I would perhaps suggest that rather than me answering the call, you have somebody else take the call, because I can't do that. And through the process of the conversation, the boss um, 
through a few choice words, let Tom know that he would not be the one answering the phone anymore when people called in or taking those, that phone call, and that he would have somebody else take care of that for him. And he didn't lose his job, for which we gave thanks and were happy. We need to be like Daniel and like a Tom and make up our mind that when we are put in a tight spot and called to sin against our God, regardless of what those circumstances may be, that we have made up our minds not to defile ourselves with the things, the choice things, that our culture is desiring for us to do. Amen? Whatever it may be. You've got to have strong doctrinal convictions if you're going to survive spiritually in our day and age. There's no other way about it. And in order to do that, you have to be a person of the Word. To have strong doctrinal convictions, you have to be a person who gets into the Word to know what the Word says in order to have convictions rooted in the Word of God. We need to actively work on Psalm 119.11, which said, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Daniel did this. Tom Sinton did this. We need to be men and women of like character. Amen? Strong doctrinal convictions. Now, look at the rest of verse 8 and put down the word civility. Which brings us to our second point in our outline right here. When asked to sin by those in authority, seek to win their favor. Notice verse 8b. It says, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Daniel sought permission. Though he had his convictions and his mind was made up that he would not defile himself, nonetheless, his first course of action wasn't to draw a sharp line in the sand and to tell the commander of the, of the officials to go pound sand. Instead, his first course of action was to walk in wisdom by having the mind to seek permission from the commander not to do the thing being asked of him. Listen, while we must stand on our doctrinal convictions and be in conflict with the world that wants us to sin, we do not have to be rude. When we find ourselves at odds with the culture, and we will, like Tom and your boss perhaps wanting you to lie, rather than attacking our adversary personally and getting nasty, we need to learn the art of walking in wisdom, as Daniel did, to seek permission not to defile ourselves. In other words, to be civil, to be polite, while explaining to whoever it may be, from your boss to the friend in the cubicle next to you, whoever it may be, of giving a reason why we won't do the thing being asked of us. And I can promise you, if you have convictions like Daniel, and you take a stand for Christ and the Word of God and the culture in which we are living, I promise there will be times that you will need to exercise civility in your public discourse. Which, if you think about it, it's the art of being polite while in the midst of conflict. Now think about this. Daniel, as a teenager, perhaps an 11-year-old, was capable of doing this. 
the art of civility. Let's not make everything about us. Let's keep everything about God. They're not really attacking you. They're attacking the principles upon which you stand. Now, notice verse 9 and 10. Put down the word faith. Because what we have seen Daniel do thus far is called living by faith, not by sight. Daniel was literally putting his life on the line. It says in verse 9, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food for your, and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. Listen, when you put yourself in a position that demands divine intervention, as Daniel has done here, that's when you find out if you're truly a person of faith. Remember Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Listen, if you want to understand the underpinnings of God, you've got to step out of your proverbial boat. And you've got to live by faith. You've got to be willing to risk something in order to stand on your doctrinal convictions. And trust that come what may, when you take your step, it has been divinely ordered of the Lord. Proverbs 16.9 tells us, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his Steps. The Lord was directing Daniel's steps. Daniel was standing on the word of God and he stepped out by faith on the word of God. The Lord is directing his steps through the word of God. The Proverbs also tell us that King Nebuchadnezzar's steps were also ordained by the Lord. From Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So Nebuchadnezzar besieges Jerusalem as the Lord wished. And here we see Daniel stepping out of his boat, steps ordained by the Lord, and God moving upon the commander's heart to do something that would be completely out of the realm of natural possibilities. Did Daniel know that this was going to be the outcome in advance? There could have been no way. He acted purely on faith, keeping his convictions, not knowing how God was going to act or answer. His steps were in accord with the Word of God. That's all he knew. And notice this result. This is something that God did. Verse 9 says that God granted Daniel favor. Let me ask you, do you believe that God still operates like this today? The granting of favor for those who take a stand on His Word and allow their steps to be ordained by the Lord in accordance with His Word? I 
I was reminding, uh, reminded of a friend that Lisa and I knew back when we were in Pittsburgh. A young lady was in the college ministry. Her name is Catherine. She went off to college. And during her first semester of her last year there, so she had been there for three years going into her senior year, she read an article in the school newspaper which was also circulated through the entirety of the community and this article was written by the campus chaplain. I don't know if I forgot to mention the school was founded on Christian principles. It was a Christian university. And the title of the chaplain's article was quote, in support of gay Christians, end quote. Listen to this. This is what the school chaplain wrote. She sent me this by way of email. He said, I would like to have openly gay and lesbian clergy colleagues and to represent the church in blessing homosexual unions. I've always respected my brothers and sisters in Christ who because of their interpretation of Scripture believe that all homosexual relationships are wrong and who speak that conviction in the spirit of kindness. I simply disagree with them. Well... Uh, Catherine wrote a rebuttal to the chaplain's article, which was also published in the school paper, disagreeing vehemently with his position. Now, how do you think that went over? Listen as she describes it in her own words. She says, quote, Essentially, the campus and the community had a fit. There were scores of articles against the biblical position submitted to the paper in the coming weeks. Most of them were from people claiming to be Christians. And one of the editors told me off the record that most were too venomous to print. Well, come spring semester, she began a process of applying for a scholarship that would get her into a master's program. And one of her professors, who she asked to write a letter of recommendation, actually said to her, that they couldn't write a letter of recommendation in good conscience without mentioning the article she wrote. So as you can imagine at this point, she's thinking that the, that the scholarship that she's seeking is out of the question. But listen to her response in dealing with all of this. She said this, quote, I prayed hard. My parents prayed hard. The pastor of my church I attended at college prayed hard. People at my home church prayed hard. My prayer at this point wasn't that I would get the scholarship. I figured that was a lost cause. My prayer was that I would be ready to give an answer if this issue was brought up in my interview. I can vividly remember getting down on my knees right before my interview asking God for strength. I was very, very scared. The interview panel was large, probably 10 to 15 people. It included a number of professors, the alumni director, the registrar, the dean of the faculty, the dean of students, and one trustee. They asked me about my research. They asked me about my philosophy of history. They asked me about my future plans for career. They did not ask me about the article, not one word. I don't remember a thing I said in that interview to this day. And to this day, I'm convinced that God just took over and got me through it. I was so relieved. I can just remember collapsing on a couch and thanking God for His faithfulness. Then later that night, I received an email notifying me that I had been awarded the scholarship. I was completely stunned. Three days later, 
I was offered a place at Oxford. And the rest, as they say, is history. We serve an awesome God, end quote. It can and does still happen today that God can grant favor to his kids who take a stand, doctrinal stands, in truth. Amen? Listen, Second Chronicles 16.9 is still in the good book. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Let me ask you this morning, is your heart completely his? Have you sold out to living your life exclusively God's way? God's way. Doctrinal convictions rooted in Scripture. Remember, Daniel didn't go down the hill of his personal preference issues. He was willing to be flexible and civil within a very difficult community that he was thrust into. But when it came to the violation of a doctrinal standard commanded him by God, he said, I cannot bend or break, and I won't. Now, one more portion of the email that I received from Catherine, which is perhaps the saddest of all, she wrote this, quote, The sad thing is that no Christian group on campus, InterVarsity, FCA, Campus Outreach, Outreach, raised a voice of support of the biblical standard. Of all that happened in that year, I think that was the hardest to take. A brother, a sister, flapping in the wind when other Christians were unwilling to take a stand, a doctrinal stand with her. And I would concur that would have been the hardest indeed to take. Listen, brothers and sisters, we need to be willing to stand for biblical truth no matter what it cost us. The blood of the martyrs have been pouring down through the centuries over the last 2,000 years, men and women who are willing to stand on the truth of God's word, even though it cost them everything. And we've got to make up our minds to go all the way to the end with Christ. Doctrinal convictions, civility, a walk of faith. Amen? We need to do that. Now, notice what Daniel does next. Look at verses 11 through 13, which brings us to our third point in our outline. Wisely offer win-win solutions <clears throat> when possible that could resolve said problem. Notice verse 11. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. <clears throat> we see in verse 11 that Daniel doesn't give up in his desire to do what's right. His first attempt with Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, as we saw in verses 9 and 10, didn't yield the desired outcome that he had necessarily wanted. Favor, compassion granted, sure, but... A change of course, not just yet. And Daniel didn't give up his desire. Remember, Ashpenaz was concerned that it might cost him his head before the king if he were to grant Daniel his request. So in verse 11, notice again what Daniel does. It says that Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander 
of the officials had appointed over him and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel now goes to the guy that Ashpenaz has put in charge of him and his three friends, and he asks him for permission not to defile himself with the king's choice food and drink. So he first, he went to the commander. The commander felt compassion for him, but said, it may cost me my head. Sent him on his way. And then there was an overseer that Ashpenaz, this is Ashpenaz right here, the commander of the officials, that's Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz then puts an overseer over top of them to carry out the actual orders. And Daniel then goes and he says, and he asks this man for said permission. And it goes back to that old saying, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again, right? Persistence. Calvin Coolidge says, nothing in the world can take place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful individuals with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Daniel here is persistent in his determination not to sin against God and to save his own life, we might, we might add. After all, <clears throat> if you think about everything that has thus far happened in Daniel and in his life, you might think that he was deserving of some kind of an emotional breakdown right about now. What do you think? I mean, after all, he's 11 to 14 years of age. His brain hasn't fully developed yet, and so he's not capable of handling pressure. I've heard that in the medical community more than once. As excuses and reasons for why young people should be granted permission to sin and to make really dumb decisions in life because their brain hasn't fully developed yet. Well, I know some adults that I'm questioning whether or not the brain's been fully developed yet or not. <laughs> and perhaps my own, right? Because sin is temporary insanity. And it shrinks our brains. See, that's what's happening when we sin. Our brains are actually shrinking. I'm just making this up now. But, <laughs> after all that Daniel's been through, for a preteen, he believes that standing on the Word of God is the only way to go in his life. And thus, he allows his God to be his sufficiency in all things, in all ways, and at all times in his life. Oh, did we say already that Daniel made up his mind? His heart, his soul, his mind was made up that he was going to stand with his God come what may. And if we ever hope to grow in a life of integrity, we must be persistent in doing what God has called us to do. When God says, flee sexual immorality, we must be persistent in doing what God has called us to do. Amen? A persistence in a Godward life over the course of one's life. Now notice the second distinction that demonstrates and defines this young man, Daniel. Look at verse 12. 
He said, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Here Daniel is seen using, as parents are oftentimes saying, the magic word. Please, please, please test your servants for 10 days. I think there's probably a little bit more emotion to that than sometimes the way we just kind of read it. Please test your servants. He's like, please, I'm begging you, please, would you just test us for 10 days? Again, at the same time, showing great civility, humility, the recognition of the authority that that individual has over him. Daniel is attempting to win his cause at all costs. You see, Daniel was familiar with a very uncommon, uncommon to the Gentile world, dietary standard upon which he was standing. Daniel was standing on Leviticus chapter 11 and others like this. When Daniel made up his mind that he was not going to defile himself with the food that the king put on his table, he had thoughts of, like a, of, of, of Leviticus 11, 1 through 12. These are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. And then it goes through de de determining them. Whatever divides the hoof, thus making hoof split, and choose the cud among the animals that you may eat. Nevertheless, verse 4, you are not to eat of these animals among which chew the cud, or among those which divide the hoof, the camel, for though it chews the cud. And we could keep going on and on. And so here are these uncommon dietary standards that God placed over the nation of Israel that this 11 to 14-year-old boy is willing to die for. <laughs> and when you get down to verse 46 and 7 of the same chapter 11, this is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between edible creatures and the creature which is not to be eaten. Daniel knew intuitively, it seems, that the king would have been placing on the table for the Hebrews to eat from meats that would cause a defilement and thus sin against his God. And so Daniel refuses the king's meat, not because he was vegetarian or he was intolerant of really good food, but because he was an obedient child of God committed to obeying Leviticus 11. So we see Daniel willing to eat vegetables and drink water in order to not break this uncommon dietary standard. Again, I'm going to harp on this again. An 11 to 14 year old boy to young man, how important was obedience to that guy? I mean, think about that. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. You're thrust into a very difficult set of living circumstances because Nebuchadnezzar, under God's ordinance, besieges Jerusalem. He snaps up the blue-chip boys from the land to train them to be servants in the king's court. You're that guy. He's standing on very... <laughs> He's standing on the Word of God. Amen? Doesn't matter how 
uncommon it may have been to the rest of the entire world, which it would have been. It's a standard by which to live according to, because why? Because God said, this is how I want my people who are called by my name to live. That's why. We've got to be willing and able to live by uncommon standards to live with integrity in the culture in which we find ourselves surrounded by. All these young adults out there living in the hookup culture, just hooking up here, hooking up there, the Word of God says you save all that and you do not defile your marriage bed and you take a stand on doctrinal convictions no matter what kind of hazing you may receive. Right, young studs? It's what you do because you have a heart's desire to be pleasing to your God. Now notice the third distinct action that demonstrates and defines this young man from verse 13. He said, it says, he said, then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food. Now did you notice that right there? And the appearance of the youths, or you might say the other youths. Remember Catherine was saying one of the saddest things was that there weren't other Christians standing up with her. Daniel's finding that there's not a lot of other young Hebrew boys willing to stand up with him and his three companions. As a matter of fact, we're going to see there weren't any. It's amazing what the threat and fear of death does to the psyche of anybody. It might make you do things that you might otherwise wish you hadn't. You've got to make up your mind. So Daniel's saying, compare our appearance, you make the observation, against those who are eating from the king's choice food, and deal with your servants. Notice the humility he throws in here. He recognizes the place that he's at. He is called to be a servant to the king in the king's court. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So after eating veggies and drinking water for 10 days, Daniel then wants his overseer to compare himself and his friends with those who have been eating really luscious food dripping with butter. And says, you'll see who's going to look the best. Does Daniel have any idea what the outcome of this is going to look like? No. Zero. None. He's just standing in faith. He's just walking by faith. He stepped out of that boat and he's just going to keep standing and keeping his eyes on Jesus. He's not sinking yet. He can't, he's keeping his eyes away from the waves and he's keeping them on Christ. We see Daniel here also with a willingness to live his life openly and transparent before others. He says, let our appearance be observed in your presence. Make observation of my life. Notice what God's going to do in my life, through my life as a result of doing this. Let's give this test a chance and see. Daniel is here demonstrating unshakable confidence in God, is he not? In God's word, God ordained his step and he steps out yet again in faith. And he's going all the way to the end of the line, standing in faith with his God. 
And when you live an uncompromising life of integrity, that's when you're able to face your neighbor, your coworker, your classmate, your roommate, your parents, or your greatest skeptic and say, as Daniel says, test what I say, observe what I do, and then judge me according to what you see. Compare my life to the non-believing world and you will see a difference. And though the context is greatly different from Daniel's day to ours, we need to be those who live with enough confidence in the Lord to put our lives on display like that. As Paul says there in Ephesians chapter 1, as trophies of grace, Christ's poemas, so that the, that the whole world can see that you claim to be somebody who is following God. How then does your life make difference and compared to others who perhaps are not? We need to live with an openness so that we can say to any person, I could say, watch me as a husband and observe how I love and lead my, my wife and family under the authority of God and His Word. Or married ladies, you could say, watch me as a wife and observe how I gladly accept God's role of submission for me as a wife as defined by God's Word. The culture is saying what? Submission, horrible. You get the opportunity to put on display that it's not so horrible, but that it's actually really good and glorious when done the way God's Word says to do it. Be willing to let your light shine. Or watch us as we raise our children and observe how we train them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Watch me as a teenager and observe how I respect and obey my parents in the Lord. Watch me as a single and observe how I flee from youthful lust. Watch me drive my car because you know it's been said the last thing converted on a person is their right foot. So watch me as I drive my car and avoid road rage at all cost. I just stepped on somebody's foot. Or observe the movies I watch and don't watch. Or listen to the jokes I tell or won't tell. In other words, watch my life. And the difference you see in me and the joy and the peace that doing those things bring to my life, God has done this. God has created within me a heart of thanksgiving to Him for His amazing and sovereign grace in my life. God has done this. God has changed my heart's desires. I have tasted and seen that God is good. And when I sin, I weep like Peter wept. And I repent quickly and get back to living by faith as soon as I can. It was Peter who said to keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the things in which they slander you as, as evildoers they may because of your good deeds. Notice, as they observe them. We have to always remember people are watching. We, we are claiming to be the, the people, the children of God, the church of Jesus Christ. People are watching. And as they watch, as they observe your life, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. When the gospel gets presented, 
when the day of visitation, I think, when the gospel of Jesus Christ hits them yet again and perhaps again and perhaps again by the faithfulness of God's people who are being witnesses within the culture in which they live, they too may someday glorify God in that day of visitation. Peter tells us that our behavior is on watch by the unbelieving world and we need to be cognizant of that. Amen? Daniel, he's leaving us a great example to follow, is he not? And this is a young guy right now. He's 11 to 14 years of age, and he's showing the way. He's demonstrating integrity to its core. And this is what we need to strive for with everything we have in us as well. Amen? An unhindered persistence in doing what is right. Daniel. He obediently lived by an uncommon standard based on God's word. Is God's word our authority today as his followers, as the church? It is. So we scour the word. We're under a new covenant, not an old. Thank you, Lord, because Leviticus 11 would be our great glorious um, obligation and delight, right? Thankfully, that, thankfully that old the, the civil laws and some of those dietary laws are no longer a, a part of the new uh, covenant in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. So we can enjoy some foods differently. But are there uncommon standards that as God's children within the church age, within the church of Jesus Christ, are there not uncommon standards that we must live by? Absolutely. Let's do it. And Daniel had a willingness to live an openly transparent life before others. Make observation of my life and see. See what you see. Well, next week, we're going to finish chapter 1 and see the results of Daniel's request and just how God responds. So, at this time, let's pray. And let's ask God to make us men and women who will not compromise being faithful to God's Word when it would be easier not to. Let's pray.